You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I received a piece from the desk of Sine Zulu at 91 in Cape Town. It was entitled, A Crucial Era in Infrastructure, The Case for Privately Funding Essays Infrastructure Crisis. Sine, I'm just going to read the first sentence of the first paragraph of your piece and it says for the people of south africa it is increasingly evident that the nation's infrastructure is starting to limit the freedoms of each individual economic growth and employment a lovely summary of what comes below that sentence and i'll just add my two cents worth in as well and i would say that whether it be ports railways roads energy infrastructure if you can't transport goods and people around the country reliably, efficiently and timelessly, then you've got a problem. A big one. Yeah. It's been a big one for a long time, though, Sine. It's not as if this is groundbreaking stuff. It's a great article. It's not groundbreaking. I've done so many interviews on this subject over the years, and I get very frustrated that they're talking about 2030, that we should be spending 30% of our GDP on these uh, fixed capital formation projects. You know? Do you share my frustration? I share your frustrations in a big way, Lindsay, because not only is the lack of infrastructure investments in our country inconveniencing everybody and making everybody's lives difficult, but it also has bigger wide-reaching consequences in terms of economic growth. Our economy has been um, stagnating and growing at a very slow pace because of the insufficient investment in infrastructure, as you rightly put it, that the National Development Plan targets to invest 30% of GDP in infrastructure, but we've tracked far below that at around 14%. So not only is the lack of investment in infrastructure inconvenience, but it just means that our economy is not growing as fast as it should, which means that we are not employing as many people as we should. And that obviously leads to other social issues such as crime, etc. Yes, I mean, from a personal perspective, if you can't go on a train or a bus because the rail network has been decimated, essentially South Africa doesn't have a rail network in my point of view, you can make as an individual, you can make adjustments. But how can you make an adjustment as a factory, a small manufacturing plant or something that is suffering rolling blackouts? It's very difficult to plan and you sort of throw in the towel in the end. So what is the answer now? You talk about investment and you talk about the private sector. How can they help and how are they helping at the moment? Yeah, I mean, for the small manufacturing firm on the ground, the inadequate supply of electricity in this country has been quite damaging for them. And so I've seen a lot of them, you know, employ self-help measures such as starting to generate their own electricity, setting up their own solar plants, putting panels on their roof, etc. You know, and what's helped is the government trying to you know, reform policy and, you know, reform policy in order to encourage the private sector to play a more meaningful role. And I'll give you an example of this. Previously, there was a cap on self-generation in the country. What that means is that as a corporate or as a small commercial entity, you could not generate your own electricity without applying for a generating license if you wanted to generate above 10 megawatts, for example. Yeah. But now the government has done away with that. Initially, they had said set the cap at 100 megawatts. I understand that as of this month, they've actually done away with the cap in its entirety. So what that means is that, you know, the large corporates, the small, medium enterprises, anybody can uh, set up a solar or wind farm of any size and generate their own electricity without having to go through the painful process of applying for a generating license. 
So those are some of the measures that they've done. You know, the private sector is, is starting to implement self-help measures. I see the government is also trying to implement policies that will help enable and drive private sector investments into the space. You say, as upgrading our infrastructure takes on added urgency and ESG considerations become increasingly important and prevalent, we are witnessing the convergence of developmental credit and commercial credit. Please explain that. Okay, so what that means is that, you know, historically, DFIs or development finance institutions have really put impact, development impact as well as ESG at the forefront of their investments. So they've been valuing impact as well as ESG ahead of credit or yields, if I can put it that way, returns, commercial returns. Commercial uh, institutions such as ourselves are starting to do more of what DFIs have been doing. So we are also starting to put, in fact, let me just say, we have been doing it for a while, but now it's just becoming so much more magnified because of, you know, the Paris agreements, et cetera, and just the general global push towards sustainability and impact. So what we see here is development or DFIs, traditional development credit and commercial credit sort of almost converging into the space, into this wonderful space where you are able to generate decent yields in an investment as well as ESG, as well as meaningful development impact. Yeah, it is an interesting one. You say the OECD survey of large pension funds, for example, estimated that the South African government employees pension fund has total exposure to infrastructure of just 1.2% versus the Brazilian equivalent of 5.1%. Now, there are two ways to look at that. Is it one, because of lack of opportunity or is it two, lack of will? I would say definitely not a lack of opportunity. I mean, the pipeline and the opportunity to invest in infrastructure in South Africa is just so massive. I mean, we started off this conversation by, I, know, I wouldn't say complaining, but <laughs> we started off this conversation by uh, by just highlighting the need for infrastructure investment in this country. You know, we don't have enough electricity generation capacity. Our rail doesn't exist, especially passenger. Our rail needs improvements. Water infrastructure, I mean, we're subject to water cuts in Gauteng and in other parts of the country. So the opportunity set is there. I just think that governments together with pension funds have reached a point where you know they're realizing that traditional asset classes are not providing as much yield as it used to. So much capital is going towards traditional asset classes such as equities and the opportunity and they're looking for other areas or other asset classes where they can generate yield as well as diversify their portfolios and infrastructure presents that opportunity. Okay. You say, let's get a bit positive now, Sina, if we can. You say, however, the landscape for infrastructure investment in South Africa is improving and showing large-scale opportunity. Numerous government reforms, which you've already mentioned, so I'll move on to how you do it, and I'll come to 91 in a second. Equity provides the catalytic energy, you say, to get projects off the ground and is key to the transition. Infrastructure debt is becoming increasingly interesting for large allocators for a few reasons. What are those reasons? Why are suddenly people setting up infrastructure desks? This is me. This is my um, imagination running wild. But I imagine there should be infrastructure desks between now and 2030 as spending increases in order to take advantage of investment opportunities. Yeah, I mean, firstly, I think the first reason for this is that um, infrastructure by its nature is quite uh, capital intensive and infrastructure assets typically have a very long expected useful life. 
And these features of infrastructure investments present, they support or attract long-term debt because they have a long expected useful life. So if you match these features of which support long-term debt coupled with a stable business risk, it can provide an effective duration for pension funds. Secondly, I think that risk-adjusted returns can be enhanced directly and privately by privately sourcing and structuring debt facilities, which when compared to syndicated transactions where often the opportunity to influence the structure is limited, you can enhance the yield by reducing risk, by sizing appropriate leverage, putting together adequate security packages, as well as introducing covenants such as distribution lockup as well as cash reserves. And these are just some examples of the ways in which you can structure infrastructure debt as in a defensive manner. Yes. So it makes it very, very attractive for pension funds. Yeah, it can be very, yeah, exactly. A pension fund needs to first preserve capital and secondly grow capital, not as much as maybe uh, the high-risk equity portfolio would. So it's a very, very important part of a portfolio, a big portfolio, I would have thought, long-term. Um, you go on to say, yeah. as a debt investor, the equity upside is foregone, I've just mentioned that, but in its place, mm-hmm. the investment becomes more defensive and provides greater certainty thanks to the preferred rights to the underlying assets and cash flows. Good. Tell me where 91 stands in what is becoming an asset class, please, Sine. So we've, as 91, we've got quite strong credentials when it comes to um, infrastructure investment. It's something that we've been doing over the past 20 years, but we are starting to put this asset class at the forefront more and more. We have about, if I'm not mistaken, about 58 billion rand invested in infrastructure. We have a full team that is strong, capable and experienced to deliver on these investments that require expertise and knowing the assets quite intimately. Currently, we are deploying around 7 billion, if I'm not mistaken, per annum into this infrastructure class. Because we are quite aligned with the global imperative to decarbonize and to drive impact, We have a dedicated team of ESG specialists, which help us in the investment process to really, you know, influence and incentivize our borrowers and sponsors when we deploy capital into this infrastructure investments for them to to um, operate and, and to and to roll out their assets in a sustainable and impactful manner. I want to give you an example now. You gave me an example earlier on in the interview. I was watching the BBC this morning and suddenly there's this picture of this giant tunnel and people working on it. it looked like an engineering miracle. But anyway, it's a 32K underground tunnel. It's a power tunnel. It's gone from southeast London to southwest London. And I thought it's quite pertinent given the fact that I was going to be speaking to you later. And it says here, the new cable tunnels are part of the National Grid's London Power Tunnels 2 project to rewire the capital and improve electricity capacity as demand rises in London. Now, say what you like about the British. They're very good engineers and also they're forward-looking in this regard. That's exactly the sort of attitude that South Africa needs, wouldn't you say? And the sort of project. Absolutely. I think innovation and using one's imagination is definitely something that we need to do in order to address this glaring gap, you know? I think we... I mean, we've got lots of crisis, water crisis, electricity crisis, and, and I think in order to solve that, we need to be imaginative, we need to be creative, we need to be innovative in the way we do things. You sum up uh, with quite a long paragraph. I'll just pick a couple of bits out. South Africa has a clear and critical need to invest in infrastructure, both as a primary boost to activity and as a facilitator of growth for the wider economy. There is enormous infrastructure spending need, which will require the involvement of both commercial and developmental lenders. 
If this was a journey that had a numerical assignment of 0 to 100, where do you think we are at the moment? 15, 20? So I can answer your question in a very precise manner. At the beginning, we spoke about how the South African economy needs to be investing 30% of its GDP into infrastructure, and we are tracking very well below that. We are around 14%. So that's where we are. Where we need to be is 30%. And the Sustainable Infrastructure Development Symposium has a very, very big pipeline of infrastructure projects that need investments of around 2.3 trillion rand over the next couple of years in order to drive or reach those goals of inclusive economic growth in our country. Yeah, I think there's optimism in that chat that we've just had. In the short term, still very, very disturbing. In the long term, I think quite exciting. Sine, thank you very much for your time today. That's Sine Zulu, investment specialist at 91 in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.